Pastor Rob McCoy, give him another round. He's my opening act. He warmed you guys up. Now, I've been uh, going through on Saturday nights with the reading with Pastor Rob. And so this week in the reading is in Luke chapter 2. If you have a Bible, open up to Luke chapter 2, verses 51 and 52. We want to look at our message, Family Man. As we see Jesus as the perfect example for manhood and humanity, it gives us the parameters in which you and I are looking for development in our own lives, but also as parents that are raising up kids. Raising kids, to me, is the hardest job, bar none, on planet Earth. It's easier to go to work 60 hours a week and put somebody on the moon than to figure out the relational, emotional dynamic of raising children and to be that right person, right? And, and all of us know that when we get our children raised, the best we can, they're going to go into therapy, <laughs> right? We, we gave them our best shot, but we are not perfect people and we live in a fallen world. But the reality is, is that we live in a time, like Paul the Apostle said in 2 Timothy 3, he says, in the last days, perilous times will come, for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers. Notice this in the list. Disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy. We live in this spiritual warfare, this cultural war that's going on around the world. But this week, my wife was in the nail tech salon. She's going on a trip to see our grandchildren. She left this morning early uh, in Florida and going to spend a week there. And, and so she was in there, and this nail tech was talking to her. And he was talking to her about, uh, you know, um, none of the ladies that sit in my seat like their husbands. <laughs> I've always thought that, you know, nail techs and uh, hairstylists they hear all of the download, right? About, it's almost like the ladies save up every two weeks of all the garbage that they've harbored towards their spouse and then they unload it at the salon. And uh, so while he was sharing this with my wife, uh, another woman came in and she said, and she, she knows nobody. I mean, she just comes in off the street into this salon and she says, have you guys seen the new Disney movie? The new Disney movie teaches children to rebel against their parents so they don't have to listen to them. And uh, long, long gone are the days of Swiss Family Robinson and the Disney that I grew up with, right? Um, and, and so she said, I'm 30 years old. I don't even, God bless you. I, I don't even have children and I'm terrified by this new Disney movie. She doesn't even have kids. You see, part of this cultural war, if you don't understand socialism and the long march of socialism to communism that we're seeing in the world, is they must indoctrinate your kids. They must turn the kids away from the nuclear family, and they must persuade them in their minds. At no time in our culture's history has there been a greater battle for the family and the hearts and the minds of our kids. And so we want to look at, here in Luke chapter 2, verses 51 and 52. Please stand with me. We're going to read these couple of verses and look at what we're shooting for in the family man. Whether you're a single mom or a single 
dad or you're a couple or you're remarried and you have stepchildren, whatever the dynamic is, this is the goal that we are shooting for when it comes to a full maturity in our children. It says in Luke chapter 2, verses 51 and 52, Then he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject to them. But his mother kept all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. Father, we ask that you'd open up our hearts to the truth and the reality of your word. That you would feed us and nourish us and help us, Lord, with our children, our grandchildren. In our own families, Lord, we're asking, we're crying out to you to help us be strengthened in our marriages, strengthen us as being parents. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. In December 15th, 1988, my son, my firstborn, who is now 32 years old, came in to the world and I had a son. And I had never been a person that was like into kids, you know what I mean? Like I'm a typical guy. I saw little kids and they were annoying to me, like just get away from me, right? And I I don't wanna be annoyed by you and I never really thought much about kids. And then I became a Christian and I got married and Tammy got pregnant and even going through that process, the Lord started really touching my heart that I really only had one dream before I was a Christian and that was to have a family that worked. Because you see, my mom's been married four times. My dad's been married three times. There's seven marriages. People want to talk about, you don't understand, Pastor. I came from dysfunctional. I look at him. Like, I came from dysfunction junction. So let's not get into a a victimization of what's worse, right? Because, which is so funny in this whole social justice movement of white privilege. I'm like, what privilege? Right, I, I, wore, I grew up as white trash, man. There's no privilege here. You know, I, I'm being raised by an ex-convict. I mean, he takes me to see his friends in San Quentin when I was seven years old uh, on visitation day. I mean, th- this is the culture that I grew up with. So you, don't look at me. I, I just got this sad story about my dysfunction junk. I'm like, well, get in line, join the club, and let's love Jesus. Because we're, right, we're... We're in this place. But because of that, you know, my, my parents now are walking with the Lord. And I praise God for that, but they did not raise me in the Lord. And so I grew up as a little heathen dog in trouble uh, at every turn without Jesus. And as I grew up in this way of rough and tumble, in trouble with the law, drugs, violence, all kinds of stuff... I had this dream, which seems strange to me. I only had one goal in my life. I didn't have a goal to go to college. Nobody had been to college in my family. Uh, I had only one goal, that if I, do, if I do arrive at adulthood, which I wasn't sure I was going to, I would like to have a family that works. But I don't know how that works, because I'd never seen a godly family. I'd never seen a godly dad or a godly mom or a, a, how you raise kids. I, I don't know how to do this. And so I had this blank slate. All I had was Jesus, the Holy Spirit working inside of me, and the truth of God's word to give me a roadmap when my son was born and I held him the first time. 
I was so overwhelmed. The Greeks have a word for familial love. It's storge. It's this incredible supernatural, it feels like, even though it's only human in nature, that this child came from my body and my wife's body. And as I held my son, I, I was so overwhelmed. It was almost like euphoria. I looked at people and I'm like, look at this kid. Like nobody's ever seen a baby, right, in their whole life. And here's the guy that doesn't, I'm not into kids. And I'm like, look at this kid. No, you've never seen a kid like this. This is my kid. This is my boy. The day he was born, his mom was resting, and he, she had to have a C-section with him. And so he's resting. I go down to the Christian bookstore, and I buy a picture Bible, and I go to the sports store, and I buy a football. <laughs> On the first day of his, and I'm just thinking, this is, this is my boy. He's going to love Jesus, and we're going to play ball. <laughs> how little did I know how bored you're going to be for the first eight months of no action whatsoever. Sleeping, pooping, eating. Sleeping, pooping, eating. I'm like, you're not bringing it, dude. You just gotta. <laughs> so this is my starting point. But one of the things that I came across in reading God's word was this story that I just read, or these two verses, about Jesus. Is the end of a family story of Mary and Joseph and Jesus at the age of 12 going to Jerusalem for Passover from Nazareth. It's a 70-mile walk. And they would go in a basically a walking caravan of all their friends and neighbors and, and family. And they would go down and then they would traverse their way back. Well, in this occasion, Jesus stayed behind. But because they're all family and they're all heading back, Mary and Joseph, he, it's safe. They don't even think about it. He's 12 years old. He's running around with friends and everything else. And... and they start looking for him the first day, and then the second day, and the third day, they finally have to go all the way back to Jerusalem, and they find him. Jesus, as a 12-year-old, they, they forgot, just think about it, they forgot the Savior of the world at, at the house of, at the, you ever lost your kid? Yet, I, 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 I would do four services a week in Saturday night, three Sunday morning services. My wife would tell me that after the second service. In between services, you know, people are aligned. And she'd whisper in my ear, hey, you got the kids when you come home. I'm like, I got it, babe, got it. You know, I do a preach another service. I talk to a bunch more people and I come home. Honey, I'm home. She comes out, where's the kids? I'm like, oh yeah, you said I should get the kids. Where are the kids? And uh, fortunately, our, our church was large. It was a large campus with 27 acres and a large facility. And I would go back to church, and they would be in some back room playing with their friends. And, and so I, I, I did that three or four times. Uh, <laughs> over a 20-year period of time, just so that you know. But it was like their second home. And this understanding of, of, of your kids and church and all those things, but they at, looked at Jesus and they said, why'd you do this to her? So we were very distressed. And he said, didn't you know I was to be about my father's business? And he meant his heavenly father. And after that, it says that he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject to them. Now, I want you to process this a little bit, especially if you're a teenager. Jesus is 12 years old. He's just getting ready to go into his teens. And he's going to go home and be submissive to imperfect human parents. And he is God in human flesh. Process that for a moment. It's easier, I guess, if you look at it as siblings. Can you imagine your whole life, you're Jesus' younger brothers and sisters, and you hear your whole life, why can't you be more like your brother Jesus? <laughs> Can you imagine? He's perfect. Like, literally, he's sinless. 
And they're just so, so over Jesus's perfection. But he chooses to submit to his mom and dad. And kids have to make that decision that they're going to submit to imperfect parents. Parents don't have it all together. We're figuring it out. Especially the first one is a total experiment. Right? If your first child turns out an even half well-adjusted, you have crushed it as a parent because they're a total experiment. If you have three or four, you know, it's by, by the third or fourth, you're just like, it's so much more relaxed. But the first one, you're just like, you don't want to mess anything up, right? You do not want your child to grow up and be the ax murderer from Michigan. And you're afraid that that's going to happen. So, Jesus chooses to submit. Mary kept all these things in her heart because she knew her, her, her son was gonna, is this divine being. The angel Gabriel told her this. She has to hold on to that for 30 years. So she's uh, got another 18 to go before he finally steps on the world saying, talk about the patience of a saint. And then it says of Jesus, his development was fourfold. This is the goal, parents, for your children. This is the goal that you're shooting for. Don't think of your child, if they're six, think of them as what you're developing, what you're nurturing, what you're training. Imagine them at 30 years of age. That's what your goal is. Because you want to see them develop in these four areas. It says in verse 52 that Jesus increased in wisdom intellectually. He in stature physically and in favor with God spiritually and men socially. These are the four dimensions of any human being. Okay, even us here today, maybe you're 24 years of age and there's so much more that you have to develop in learning. Because wisdom here, we're gonna look at it only intellectually because there's a spiritual dimension that is mentioned in this passage. Create in your children and develop in yourself a love for learning the truth. A love for learning the truth. Constantly be developing the, the brain, the intellect, what you're reading, what you're listening to. And then physically, that's the easiest, right? If you eat right, get exercise and rest, you're just going to physically, your DNA is designed to rise up to wherever you're at. Yet, I know in this generation, the physical aspect, because of a techno world, kids are not active like they were before. I mean, they just sit all day long looking at a screen of some sort. So the physical development that needs to take place. And then the spiritual development. Obviously, this is a mystery because Jesus is God in human flesh, but he is human, and these two things are coming together in him, spiritually, as he's submitting to the Father, and then socially. These last two are simple in that the greatest commandments are to love God with all your heart and to love your neighbor as yourself, right? So spiritual growth, social growth. Now, have you ever met somebody that really loves God and is socially a moron, right? They have no tact. They, they really don't know how to interact. You, you have to train them in social graces. You have to train your kids as they're growing up how to say please, how to say thank you, how to be polite, how to be, all, all these things, how to share. If you do not believe in the sinful nature of man, I encourage you to go to the laboratory of the nursery with two and three-year-olds and put one toy in the middle of the room and watch them kill each other, right? They, they, they have no other parameters but mine. Once they learn that word, mine, right? 
the, the, the selfish nature. But we have to develop in these four areas. Now, as we develop in these four areas and your kids are developing, you're all headed towards that day where you're going to release your kids, right? This is the hardest thing. Some parents think it's their job to so lock down their kids till they hit 18 and then they just take their hands totally off and they're like, well, they didn't do it on my watch. If they destroyed their life, it's on their own. Well, my goodness, they've been in prison for 18 years. Surely they're gonna go wild. <laughs> but the goal is, even when they're young, as they start to develop, you slowly start letting them go. You start giving them freedom as they're in those teen years. They're making mistakes so that they can do it in a safe environment with input from mom and dad. But you're headed towards that day. And let me just tell you to comfort you. If you have a teenager in your home, you have tension. They should come with a warning label, right? If you have a teenager, you have tension. Where's the tension come from? All of a sudden, they go through puberty and they have these adult-ish like bodies, but they haven't developed necessarily uh, intellectually or spiritually or socially enough yet to launch into the real world. But the tension begins to grow as they know 18's the finish line. I say, c'est la vie to mom and dad and their curfew. Adios. Arrivederci. In every language, they can say goodbye because they're ready to go. And the tension, it's very much like Psalm 127.4 says, like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. My children pull out the arrow from the quiver. You put it in. And as you pull it back, now, if you want your kids to go far in the world, since the picture, the illustration is an arrow, if you want an arrow to go far, you have to aim high. You have to shoot towards that mark that you want them to go. So aiming towards the Lord, and even in your own life, because God's raising kids, aim high. But right before the release of the arrow, the tension's the greatest. It's like if you hang on to the old recurve, you don't have much time to hang on. It's not like the old or the new compound bows. The tension's the greatest right before you release. And if you're, if you have that 16, 17, 18 year old, you got the tension going on. They're wanting to be released and you're like, not yet. You're not going yet. Why do I have a curfew? You're still under my house. Right? I want you home by 11. All my friends get to stay out till two. Not yet. Nothing good happens after 11. This is what parents do, right? Kids don't need a best friend. You see the people that try to go that route. He's my buddy. And they just get run over the top of. You know, they have lots of friends right now. They need a parent. And hopefully when they're mature, we can be friends. But the reality is they need parents. You see, if you underestimate the influence of a godly life, I'd like you to pay attention to this illustration right now. Somebody knows the Lord and they raise the kids in an environment, a greenhouse of God's love and family love. In contrast to somebody that doesn't know God and doesn't really experience a lot of love. In the book, America is Too Young to Die by Leonard Ravenhill. There's a contrast between Jonathan Edwards, the famous preacher, and Max Jukes, 
They lived at the same period of time in the 18th century, 1700s. And Max Jukes, an atheist, lived a godless life. He married an ungodly woman. And from his union, there were 310 who died as paupers or flat broke, 150 who were criminals, seven were murderers, 100 were drunkards, and more than half of the women were prostitutes. His 540 descendants cost the state one and a quarter million dollars. Now that's back in the 1700s without inflation. It's somebody traced their lineage of an ungodly life. Now contrast to Jonathan Edwards, it says he lived at the same time as Max Jukes, but he married a godly woman and an investigation was made of the 1,394 known descendants of Jonathan Edwards, of which 13 became college presidents, 65 college professors, three United States senators, 30 judges, 100 lawyers, 60 physicians, 75 army and navy officers, 100 preachers and missionaries, 60 authors of prominence, one vice president of the United States, 80 public officials in other capacities, 295 college graduates, among whom were governors of states and ministers to foreign countries. Jonathan Edwards' descendants did not cost the state a penny. Do you believe that a godly heritage will make a difference in your children and your grandchildren and to a thousand generations? Amen. So if that's the goal, that's full development, it's a development of intellectual, physical, spiritual, and social, What's the process to get there? We see the goal and the finished product of who Jesus is, but what's the process to get there? Now, you can get online, Amazon, Christian bookstores. Do you know that there are literally hundreds of books about raising kids? Have any of you read some, right? There's hundreds of books. Yet Paul the Apostle says, basically, this is the short version. This is the cliff notes. You need four verses to have a healthy family. Four verses? You have 10 books at home about raising kids. And he goes, no, no, we'll make it real simple. If if you want to get to this place, check this out. This is the process in Ephesians 6, verses 1 through 4. Now, there are three responsibilities that children have. And there are four responsibilities that parents have. Now, the children get three verses out of the four, and the parents only get one verse. Now, if you can digest and wrap your mind around this... now. This is so important. I've raised kids. I'm not in the middle of the process. I'm beyond the process and have grandkids, and I know it works. Next month, it's hard for me to fathom. Next month will be 40 years since I took Tammy on our first date. 40 years. She was 15 and I was 17. And so when you look at me, don't think that somehow I have no experience. Because the reality is, now my son's 32, he flies jets, just got his dream job, he's going to be flying, he starts training in May for FedEx, flying for them, and my daughter is an amazing wife and mom, which is her dream to raise two beautiful children. And with that, we went through this, now we did not, as parents, mom and dad, we did not do this perfectly. And once your kids grow up, they let you know that. I mean, it does say in Proverbs 31 that your children will rise up and call you blessed. I think that happens about 50. So it hasn't happened yet. 
but it's a promise, so we're believing the promise. So I don't want to say, in, 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 this is a hard thing as a father, as a husband, to delineate biblical truth and the reality of it doesn't mean that we have lived up to all of it. You understand? Because we're human, we fail. And, and don't think that somehow you're a failure when you see these things in action and somehow you've missed the mark. Join the club, join the club. Now, for kids, this is really simple. You got three things. Kids, you're a teenager here, maybe you're out there in the lobby, you're 12 years of age. Verse one says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Number one, it's pretty simple, just obey your parents. It has to do with your actions. Mom and dad say, hey, clean up your room before dinner tonight. That's a simple instruction. Go do it. It has to do with your actions. The second is, it has to do with your attitude. And that is, in verse two, honor your father and your mother. Honor means to value. Literally, the word means to value what mom and dad say. And because you value the, what they said, you'll obey what they said, but you'll obey respectfully. These two things are crucial for you to put together, actions and attitudes. Have you ever been confused by your kids because you said, hey, pick up, you know, they're seven years old, pick up your shoes and take them to your room. But then they begin to diddle and dawdle. You're like, have you discovered your kids have selective hearing? Right, if I ask them to do something that's a command that has some effort and work related to it, it's almost like, I say, you wanna go get ice cream? Man, they'll blow you away to get to the van. They can hear fine. There's nothing wrong with the audio. It's selective hearing. So have you ever had your kids obey? They picked up their shoes and they took them to the room, but they did it with a stinky attitude. (laughs) There. And you're a little confused because as a parent, you're like, no, I'm not sure how to process this. You did what I asked you to do, but you were such a stinker in the process that I'm not sure what I think about this. Well, let me tell you what to think about that. They obeyed you in action, but their attitude stunk. So sometimes you're bringing correction and discipline for attitudes as well as action. You have to bring these two things together. Who is responsible to do that? Well, children have a responsibility to obey respectfully their parents. And parents have a responsibility, as we'll see in a moment, to make sure that they do that because you're training them for life, right? This is so important. Now, if they obey you in action and attitude, where's the next place they're going? Now, I have to put a disclaimer on this, which I never have in the last, uh, except these last two years, meaning that typically you go to school and obey your teacher and have a respectful attitude, right? And then after school, where are you gonna go? You're gonna go to a job and you need to obey in action, the boss, and be respectful, right? You're preparing them in your living room, in the bedroom, in the backyard, at home. You're preparing them, as you'll see, for an incredible promise. And if you don't do this as a mom and dad, you are hindering them. Now, some of you are adults, you're 50 years of age and you've never learned this. You're 50. You did not fully develop intellectually, physically, well, physically you have, spiritually or socially. Because you're a 50-year-old that still goes to work and doesn't do what the boss tells you to do, or if you do it, you murmur and complain with a stinking attitude. Now, I've managed people pretty much from the age of being 20 years of age in construction, 
And putting those two things together, it is a joy to work with someone that shows up on time, does what they're told, and they, or they're respectful. You're like, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Because it doesn't happen, right? It's hard to get them. They don't show up on time. They don't work hard while they're there. They don't do what they're told. And when they do do it, they're rolling their eyes and making a big stink. So parents, don't look at your child as the four-year-old or the five-year-old or the six-year-old. You are preparing them at the age of 30. What kind of employer are they going to be? How are they going to function in the world? This is your responsibility, but it's the child's responsibility. So parents, listen, in action, in attitudes, this is a cool promise, you guys, kids. You get a promise, and that is if you obey an action and you honor and respect an attitude, this promise is yours, and you can totally own it, and I've observed it to be true. It says, which is the first commandment with promise that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. So the promise is, these are the three things a kid has to do. They have to obey in action. They have to uh, honor and respect with attitude. And then they have to believe this promise. Because if you don't believe this promise, you're not motivated. You need to believe this promise that it might go well with you. What's that mean? If you have a child in your classroom as a teacher, and they obey you and they're respectful, is it going to go well for that child in that classroom? Right? If you have an employee that obeys an action and is respectful in attitude, is that employee going to be promoted, right? And if that employee does not obey and has a stinky attitude, are they gonna get the promotion? No. This is not rocket science. It's not, it's not like, oh, wow, that's brilliant, blow my mind. This is like, duh. So I just ask you, you're gonna raise a child, and let me just ask you as the 50-year-old, that you constantly are disrespectful in the work environment. Now, I'm just setting aside the last two years because there were some things we had to stand up against tyrants, we had to push back, we had to do some things that are abnormal, okay? But in a normal culture, <laughs> where those things, they're not trying to jab you with you know, experimental vaccines and make you wear a mask and things that are abnormal. So, having that disclaimer, realize this, I'm raising, I want, Life to go well for my kids. How about you? I've never met a parent that said, you know, I want my kids' lives to suck. <laughs> I want them to get fired from every job, fail every class, be hated by every teacher and coach they ever have. And what parent thinks that way? No parent thinks that way. Don't you want, parents, don't you want your kids to be more blessed than you? I want them to enjoy life better than me. I want them to have the best of life because you love your kids. You're crazy about your kids. So why wouldn't I give them the best shot? I want it to go well with them, but unless I train them to obey and be respectful, it's not gonna go well with them. They're always the person that gets fired. They're always the person that gets cut. They're always the person that you know, is out of favor with the teacher. Generally speaking. But then it may, you may be live long on the earth. Now, why is it if we obey and we're respectful and God is working in our life spiritually, our life is normally not going to be cut short. Though we do have young people that die early and those things, they're outliers. Generally, I can look at my family, my wife's family, and my uh, 
my dad and his, my stepmom's family, and I can just look at the people that didn't want to walk with God, they destroyed their life through sin and addiction, and their life's cut short. Correct? Right. So my brother died at the, the age of 53 from AIDS because he was a heroin addict, also in the homosexual lifestyle, but he shared a needle with a couple, a, a husband and a wife, and the wife was pregnant. They were all shooting up heroin, and they all shared the needle for the heroin, and it, it took my brother's life eventually. Now, the husband, the child that was born, and the, the wife were all dead within one year. My brother lived over 25 years because God's so patient, he rededicated his life the last six months of his life. It took 25 years to get a hold of his hard heart. He cut his life short. I'm 57, 53 doesn't seem that old. My wife's uncle died at the age of 50 from alcoholism. And my mother-in-law's um, twin sister died at the age of 50 from abusing her body. It's not rocket science that if you honor the Lord with your body in physical things and you don't become an addict that destroys your life, that you will have a long life on planet Earth. Right? So it's going to go well with you. You're going to have a blessed life, which is a quality of life that life's good. And then it's a long life because you're a healthy individual because you're honoring the Lord in all those dimensions of your life. So that's for the kids. Three things. Your actions, obey your attitude, respect, and then believe this promise. It will go well with you if you honor your mom and dad and you do it with a respectful way because they're training you. Now, if you don't do that in kids' lives, and maybe you have this in your own life, you know what, I was far from God, I didn't raise my kids well, and you know, it didn't go well with them. They were in trouble, they were expelled from school at 15, they were arrested, now they're doing 10 years in the prison. Because there is somebody that comes along that will discipline you. They have these really cool flashing lights on top of their car, right? The cops show up and woo, 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 woo. And they really don't care because if you don't want to obey the laws of the land and you don't want to have a respectful attitude, they will throw your butt in jail. So somebody is going to discipline your kids. I tell parents that don't want to get engaged and discipline their kids, I said, well, somebody's coming along to discipline your kids. They say, Who that? who's that? I said, the cops. They're going to come. They're going to come for your kids. Well, well, you're, you're raising them, right, that they, they don't have to obey any rule. They don't have to be respectful. And they don't care about destroying their life quickly because they're not honoring God. You see, somebody is going to bring exercise, discipline in your kid's life. The more obedient you are in the Lord, more respectful you are in the Lord, the freer you are in life. That's what I would share with my kids. They're teenagers, and as they're growing up. Now, in Idaho, they can start driving at 14 and a half, okay? So they get the car keys, they get a phone, and I'm like, freedom is happening to you guys. Celebrate freedom! You got a phone, you got a car. And I said, you're only gonna be free as long as you obey me and you are respectful to me because then the phone's gonna come away and the car keys are gonna come away and your freedom's gonna disappear. Why? Because it's not going well for you. <laughs> so this is how it works. Disobedience, disrespectfulness brings slavery. Obedience, respectfulness brings liberty and freedom. 
And when you train your kids in that, they learn, oh, this is the path to freedom. This is the path for liberty, is obedience and respect. Now, now for the parents, for the parents, you have four responsibilities. And for the sake of time, we're gonna have to cut out part of my message here, but verse four has it all. The first thing is a warning not to do something. We're gonna look at it as the positive, encouragement instead of discouragement, because it says, and you fathers do not provoke your children to wrath. This word fathers is also translated in another place as Moses' parents, so it's parents, moms and dads. Parents, do not nitpick your kids to death so that they get exasperated. They get so frustrated they can never do anything right. Look for opportunities to encourage your kids at every turn. Because some people are prone to see everything that's wrong in life and they just pick, 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 pick. And the kids just get so frustrated like they can do nothing wrong. Or nothing right, excuse me. I was training my son to mow the lawn. You know, you do this as father-son, it's Saturday. So about four Saturdays in a row, we're mowing the lawn. And I'm tre- he, this is how you weed eat. He's like 10 or 11. This is how you weed eat. This is how you blow. This is how you mow. This is what we do. And so I said, next Saturday, it's all you, man. So the next Saturday, I'm gone and I come back and he's got the lawn done. And I walk straight through the house. I'm going to inspect it. And I, and I look out the, the window, the patio window. And there's a mohawk in the lawn, straight, like from end to end. Like it's this strip that the wheel didn't get over. And it's just this mohawk. And, and it's like me looking right down this aisle. It's right in front of my face. And I told myself, because I told myself when I came home, I'm going to encourage him. He's only 10 years old, right? It's not like he's starting his own lawn business yet or something. So he walks into the room and he comes and he stands right by me all proud. And I said, son, you did, you did an awesome job. The lawn looks great. He goes, really? He said, I just noticed that mohawk I left there in the lawn. And I thought for sure you're going to talk to me about the mohawk. And I said, well, 99.9% of the lawn looks awesome. And there's this little mohawk. You'll get it next week. No big deal. It's grass. You cut it, it grows back. And sometimes you have to look for opportunities. Contrast that when I did well on a Saturday morning and I encouraged him, fast forward five years, he's 15, Saturday, we're doing the lawn again. But it's a big lawn because I had flip homes and this, this place had an acre, I mean, it was big. And so we had a riding lawn more and everything. And that, I woke up that Saturday, I was so grumpy. And I just, I was barking at him at every turn. Bah, bah, just everything. And after about the third or fourth time, I just kind of woke up. It's like the spirit of the Lord just touches your heart. It's like, what's wrong with you? You're treating your son like such a jerk. You're such a jerk. And I was just really convicted. So I went over to my son. I said, son, I, I'm so sorry. I, I said, I w- woke up on the wrong side of the bed. I've been grumpy. You haven't deserved anything. Thank you for your help. You're a total blessing. He never even looked up. He never even missed a beat. He's so gracious. He had his head down doing something, you know, putting, picking up some grass or something. He goes, no problem, Dad. He said, I thought you were in denial. It's okay. You know, it's no problem. <laughs> and I just laughed really hard because that's the kind of relationship we have. Because there's times that you can discourage kids to the, the breaking point. And you, you have to change your mindset. Find something to encourage them about consistently. Don't provoke your children to wrath. 
It says in Ephesians 4.29, don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. How much more as you apply it to your own kids? Well, there's also to be love in the family for parents. In verse 4, it says, but bring them up. This is a word in another place that's translated cherish. It means to keep them warm, to take care of them, to grow up in an atmosphere of love. And so bring them up in love. Do you know that the first mention of love in the Bible is between a parent and a child? Not between a husband and a wife? In Genesis 22, the Lord's speaking to Abraham. He says, take now your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love. So the first time that love is mentioned in the scriptures is between parents and children. Your kids should be able to look at any stranger that asks them the question any day of the week. Hey, do your folks love you? Absolutely. Might not mean you agree with them all the time or whatever, but they love you. They care about you. So don't discourage them. May they grow up in an atmosphere of love, and God's love obviously puts that love, sheds his love abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit so that we have love to give our kids. Third, there's discipline. There's three things that it takes to have a really good family. There's three things that it takes to have a really good work environment in your office. Love, truth, and discipline. If you're a businessman, this is true. The people need to, you know, we usually don't use the word love in the work environment. We say mutual respect. But Love or mutual respect in the workplace. Truth, I'm going to tell you what I expect of you as employees, and then correction or discipline when you get out of line. When you do this consistently in a family, what you're doing is training up someone, and this is the hardest thing. The discipline is the hardest. In training, it literally means in discipline or chastening. Listen to how the writer of Hebrews describes what our human fathers did and what God is doing in our life and what are the results in Hebrews 12. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the father of spirits and live? For they indeed for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them, but he for our profit that we may be partakers of his holiness. Now get this, no chastening seems to be joyful for the present. That's right. I mean, you get spanked, you get uh, on timeout, you're grounded, you lose some privilege. No chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but what does it do? But painful, nevertheless, afterward it yields a peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. When kids understand love, truth, and discipline, that trifecta of uh, the development of character in your life, you will be a rock star in the world because Nobody knows how to raise kids that way these days. Love, truth, and discipline. That's all that it takes. The problem is, from the time we get these small packages and we bring them home from the hospital with no owner's manual, this is really the only owner's manual. I mean, just think, it should be illegal, right? You've never had a child, and they just send a totally inexperienced couple home. You know nothing, You should, I mean, it's just like, it's, my wife and I have funny story after funny story about how how we were terrible in the early days because we just didn't know stuff. But foolishness is bound up in the heart of the child, Proverbs 22, 15 says, and the rod of correction will drive it far from him. Sinful foolishness is bound up in the heart of every child, but the rod of correction. Now the Bible does encourage corporal punishment, though we're in the state of California and the CPS will come and take your children away from you, right, here if you uh, spank a child. Now, the Lord designed this really, really soft spot back here. 
And, and when kids are young, this is where their brains are. And so when they disobey and it hurts back here where their brains are, it like strikes their memory. And that's in the early days when they're little and then they get older and they have reasoning faculties and you're like, oh, okay, now you're, you're gonna lose this privilege. So discipline is a very hard thing because nobody wants to do it. I mean, it's not like you're like, oh, goody. What a drag, right? I would tell my kids, we're, we're taking off for vacation. They're nine and seven years of age. And I'm like, hey, we're gonna drive for four or five hours. It would be great to have a peaceful time so that we just can have love, joy, and peace. We don't want a lot of drama. Like, he touched me. He's on my side. He took my candy bar. He's, yeah. You know, just like. Whoever invented long drives for family vacations should be executed out back. Right, because you're trying to get to this place. But what happens through discipline, Proverbs 29, 15, the rod and rebuke give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. You wanna, you wanna see somebody, a son or a daughter, that has had no love, truth, or discipline in their life, and they will bring shame to their parents. They most certainly will. It's a, it's a sad, tragic thing. But they, it's really not all on them, right? Because mom and dad didn't really provide that love, truth, and discipline. Proverbs 23, 13 says, do not withhold correction from a child. If you beat him with a rod, he will not die. Now, soften this language, you guys. <laughs> if you swat his behind with a small paddle or wooden spoon, he will not die. Now, even when you announce you're getting a spanking, they go, wah! You're just like, I haven't even touched you yet. <laughs> right? Now, granted, I know... People, if you were abused when you were growing up physically, this is anathema to you, and I understand. I also understand from being raised by an ex-convict who had no children and got four immediately, and he spanked me with a bullwhip and a horse bat, which is like a quip. So I know what abuse is like, and he also verbally abused me. He would tell me I was the dumbest blankety-blank-blank on the planet, I'd be driving down the road, I'm six, seven years old, and then we would see a billboard here in Southern California. I'd see a billboard, he'd go, read that billboard. And as soon as he told me to read it, you know, I'd start to stutter and, and try to sound it out because I was so terrified of him. He said, you are an absolute blankety, blank, blank, blank. So I, I understand what that life's like. We're not talking about any of that. We're talking about a loving environment that's sharing the truth, and that there's correction. You might only want to do timeout. You might want to do uh, grounding or different things. For us, our kids, if they disobeyed, they got one swat. With In the early days, it was like a rolled up newspaper, so it sounded worse than it actually was. You know, it's like a bunch of paper, like, and kind of startled them. And, and then we, you know, graduate to a little rolled up magazine and then onto a wooden spoon because as they get bigger and they look at you, you're like, for real, that was it? What, what do you got? And it's like, okay, that's not accomplishing what we needed to accomplish. So, and then, and then when our kids, they were, what happens is in the early days from two to four, our kids got a lot of spankings with the newspaper or a little wooden spoon. And then what happens, they finally, they wake up, both of them happen about five years of age, ding! Oh, when I don't obey mom and dad with a respectful attitude, it hurts back here. Oh, oh, I get it. And what happens is all of the discipline starts, now it's a couple of times a month, now it's a couple of times a year, 
And now they're headed at that, you know, 10, 11, 12, and then we make the change. We say, okay, now if you disobey or you're disrespectful, the first thing that's going to go is Friday night. You can do nothing on Friday night. Now, when your kids are social like my kids, inevitably it was somebody's birthday on that Friday night, and they... Oh, come on, I got and my kids, this is, the, this is the strangest thing ever, but when we started the grounding thing instead of actual a swat on the behind, both of my children at different times, they were gonna miss an event and they begged me, dad, please, please, just give me a spanking and I can go to the party. Please, dad, give me. Now, if you've ever seen anything weird in your whole life, it's a child begging you for a swat on the behind. And I would tell them no, because the reality is now you're understanding delayed consequences for being disobedient and disrespectful. So you did it on Tuesday night, but now you can't do anything on a Friday night. So our kids, I said the first thing, if you're going to be disobedient, you're going to lose Friday night. If you do something else in the week, it's going to be Saturday night. You do something else, it's after church on Sunday. All three, my kids are so social. They were like crazy. They never got more than one, lost one night in a week, ever. In, in growing up through those years. I also didn't want to be the loud family. You get the loud family. Pa- parents train their kids that they don't have to obey until your veins are popping out right here in your forehead. They said, you know, I told you. And they'll, tell, they'll repeat themselves like 10, 20 times. Yeah, I told you. And then it's not till they go, they get up, oh, I told you. And the kid's like, that's the one. Right? <laughs> now, why should you have to go through that drama? Or the counting family. One. Two, and they count to 10, nine and a half, nine and three quarters. I'm like, for reals? I mean, is this, is this what we have to put up with? So I'd share with my kids whatever the correction was, make sure they saw me, they heard me. I'll tell you one time. And then afterwards, how do you know when to discipline or not? So if they make an excuse why they can't do what you're asking them to do, if they delay in doing what you want them to do, or they simply flat out rebel and will not do what you want them to do, then correction in some form is coming. It's very simple. Because otherwise you're like, I'm not sure what, what to do in this situation. I'm not sure. So we had to get really creative in public because your kids learn that at home they have to mind, but when they go to the store, that's crazy! So you have to teach them, okay, how do we have sign language and not have our children take it away from it by social services? <laughs> so we would be in the store and we, would, we, we came up with this thing called the check mark. So I'd look at them like, hey, you can't touch everything on the shelf or throw everything on the shelves into the basket. So I'd say, I'm going to tell you once. And then if you disobey, I call their name again and they look at me and I go, okay. The check mark means when we get home, you're going to get the SWAT. So now all of a sudden now they're holding on to mom's hand like, because the whole time like, you know, I, 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 wait, look at me, I, look at me, I'm holding your hand. One day it happened at the counter, my wife was writing the check at the checkout, the grocery store, and my son was touching all the candy bars. And, Jess, and my wife said, Caleb, and she, and the, you know, clerk's watching this whole thing, and he's looking at her and he's being sassy, he looks at the clerk. He touches everything. Tammy goes, Caleb. And he looks at her. She goes. And he came over. Tammy never said a word. He just came over and stood immediately right next to her. And the clerk said, wait, what just happened? Some, something just happened. Some exchange. What's this mean? And what was that? And what, what just happened? Tammy said, family secrets. <laughs> Got to figure out how to navigate this stuff, right? 
So the reality is that moving these things forward and training the culture and the environment of your family so that there's harmony in your family and there's peace in your family. But for some of us in our adult life, we haven't figured out some of this stuff. Is it going well with you? How's your health? Have you destroyed your liver yet? What's going on with your life? The last thing that he mentions for parents, it's first of all, don't discourage, but encourage. Number two, love the children, discipline the children. And last is truth. It says an admonition of the Lord. This has to do with verbally instructing and warning. Ephesians 4, 15 says, speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ. Speaking the truth in love, you have to have an environment where you're just talking. You can talk, your kids can talk to you about anything. Nothing's off the table. Even uncomfortable conversations, nothing can be off the table. It tells us that the way that we're to speak to one another in Deuteronomy, the great Shema of the Jews, in chapter 6, Verses four through seven, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. So in all of these things, you're just talking about the Lord all the time. You're talking about life all the time. What's going on in the culture all the time. What's happening in school all the time. What's happening with your friends. And my wife and I discovered if you just ask your kids when they get home from school or they've been with friends and you say, how was it? They have one word answers. Fine. Fine. Don't you get sick of fine? Fine. 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 So we discovered our kids don't talk to us. So once a week we'd try to do it. We'd alternate between my wife and I, with my son and my daughter, you just go for a walk. Go walk around the block three or four blocks. You, you take a hundred steps from the house and the kids are just like, Brrr. they're just telling, you're just walking and you're talking and you're sharing and it's all coming out. You say, well, all that's great, Pastor Rick. Thanks for depressing me today. <laughs> my kids are grown. They have their own kids. They want nothing to do with me. I made a mess of my life. The beautiful thing is there's always hope. You might have a prodigal that you raised in the ways of the Lord, and they're not walking with the Lord. I want you to know that when a mom and dad start praying for the child that came from their body, I believe that there's a special attentiveness that God has in heaven for your prayers, for your kids. And if you want to pray for your kids, maybe you have a prodigal out there. We're just going to end right now. We're going to have those who need prayer for their children. Stand up. We're going to pray for them. Maybe it's a grandchild, and they're just off the rails. Would you just stand up right where you're at? And we're going to pray for those who really want prayer for their kids. Now, it doesn't, uh, you know, dismiss those who are, have kids in the home. If you want to stand, that's great also. But we want to pray for our kids, don't we? We want it to be well with them. We want, it to, we want them to have a quality of life and a long life. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word that gives us instruction. We wouldn't know what to do without it. Lord, I pray that by your Holy Spirit, you would go after the hearts and the minds of the sons and the daughters that are represented by those who are standing up here. Whether they're in the home, they're out of the home, Lord, whether they're strained relationships, Lord, we pray in your grace that you would go after their hearts, that they might come to a saving knowledge of you, that they would surrender to you, and that there would be restoration and reconciliation with their parents. 
Lord, we pray for your help and your grace. We also pray, Lord, as we're just gonna have some food and fellowship, pizza, Lord, we pray that you would bless this fellowship and the time that we have with one another. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, we went long and the worship team, I guess, just left. So uh, God bless you guys. We got some pizza in the other room.